0: and one of our kids on a recent hike, and we'll share with you how we got one of them back. On today's top five list, how to incorporate bread into your backpacking meals without ending up with a bag of crumbs. Then we'll review a tent that uses trendy buzzwords like hybrid and compact. Next, we'll share a hack that will help others identify your lost camera and get it safely back to you. And we'll wrap up the show with a poem of mysterious origin. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles.
1: In February, we took the opportunity to get out on a hike. We, we had a Saturday open. The weather was forecasted to be a little bit less horrible than it had been the rest of the winter.
0: Horrible. That's a harsh word. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, we saw snow on this hike Yeah, at an elevation of what?
0: Like 20 feet. 20 feet. (laughs) (laughs) So close to the ocean. Maybe
1: a couple hundred feet above the ocean. And there was snow left over from the night before. So we made it. We went to a place called God's Thumb, which is uh, northwest of Lincoln City, Oregon. It's called that because there's this sort of thumb of land that sticks out into the ocean. And you can hike up to the top of that thumb and have a picnic up there. So as we started into this hike, which I think was about two miles each way, we gained a few hundred feet of elevation in the first little bit and got up onto a ridge. And at that point, there was kind of a spur that you could take off to the left and just see a view of the ocean. But the trail kept going forward and to the right. So there were two of us in front, uh, me and our oldest son, and we took that little spur to check out the view. And our second son was behind us, and I don't know if he knew that we had stopped, so he just kept on hiking the way the trail goes. Well, as you hike along the ridge for another just a couple hundred yards, then there's a fork in the trail. The more prominent trail makes a hairpin turn to the right and heads back downhill back to town. The less prominent part of the trail, and the one that was our route, continues forward along the ridgeline to get out towards God's thumb. So... Five of us show up at this Y in the trail and go, hmm, our other son has gotten ahead of us by himself, and we know we're supposed to take this less prominent trail going forward, but we have no idea if our son thought that through that way, or if he just followed the more prominent route back down to town, back down the hill. So at that point, we decided that I would run ahead on the correct trail, because if I found him on the correct trail, hey, that's great. No doubling back, no going down the wrong trail, looking for someone who's not there. I would find him, and then we could just wait for the rest of the family to show up. So I blazed my way forward on the correct trail. I got all the way out to almost to God's thumb, saw a couple hikers there, asked them if they had seen a 12-year-old boy running around. They had not. So I kind of hung my head and turned around and started walking back. Now, in the meantime, you guys had come up the same, the correct trail, just at a slower pace. And so we were going to meet up somewhere in the middle, which means we still hadn't explored the wrong trail. Anyway, as I was walking back to meet up with the rest of the family, I came across a group of three hikers. And interestingly, they said, Are you looking for something? And I said, No, well, Yeah, actually, I'm looking for a 12-year-old boy. Have you seen a 12-year-old boy? And they said, no, we haven't. And then we went on our ways. Just a couple minutes later, I met up with the rest of the family. And at that moment, I discovered that I had lost our camera. I had left it in an open pocket in the hip belt of my pack. And because I was running instead of walking, it had bounced out at some point and just landed on the trail somewhere. I thought, Okay, great. So now we have this dilemma. We still haven't found our son, and we need to go the other direction to find him. But I've lost our camera, and it's probably in the direction that I just came from. So now what?
0: What did you do? I can't remember.
1: I sent our oldest son. That's right. <laughs>
0: Those priorities, people.
1: Right, to find our son while I went back looking for the camera.
0: And you had been running for quite a bit because you ran all the way down the trail to see if our son was at the end of the trail. And then you came back to report to us that he wasn't. So you had been running, running, running. And our oldest son, who was fresh, had fresh feet, fresh legs... We sent him running down the trail to look for his brother.
1: He found him. He had gone down that more prominent, incorrect trail. I think he had dropped most of the elevation uh, that that trail drops and had made it most of the way back to town, never really considering that he was lost.
0: He's never lost. He is our child where if we can't find him, he always knows where he is and is never worried about being lost. He, He really does have that kind of, um, it's a gift of always knowing where one's self
1: is. Yeah, even if that's not where everyone else is. Right, right, right. And he was fine.
0: Yeah, and we, I mean, we weighed everything. We thought, okay, if there's danger or if there are other paths or, you know, if there are really extreme risks, then we need to all go look for him.
1: And when I say he was fine, I mean he mentally was fine. <laughs> I, he it didn't really impact him that much. He hadn't felt scared. He really had little awareness of the fact that we had just been spending the last hour scrambling, running all over the hillside looking for him. Now yeah, he was just wandering down a trail. His brother found him, he wandered so back happy. the other way. yeah, <laughs> just kind of happy-go-lucky yeah
0: that's that's him,
1: so back to the camera,
0: the camera. <laughs>
1: So for a third time now, I headed on that section of trail, back out towards God's thumb, scanning the ground with my eyes, looking for the camera. But in my mind, all of a sudden recalling that question, are you looking for something? And thinking, wait a minute. Uh... Yeah, I was looking for my son, first and foremost, and I didn't even know that I had lost my camera. Were these people... Was that the cue, like if I had known I had lost my camera and I had said, why yes, as a matter of fact, I've lost my camera, I'm looking for my camera, then would they have pulled it out of their backpack and said, you know what, we found this a minute ago on the trail. So I was scanning the trail for the camera while at the same time trying to catch up to this group. The youngest hiker was fairly young, about as young as our youngest child, so I thought If I'm blazing, I'm going to catch up with these people, no problem. But you get up uh, close to God's Thumb, and you can look out to God's Thumb itself, but then there's three or four other trails that take off in other directions. One goes down to a camp. I I think maybe it's a campfire boys and girls camp. And one heads back a different way to Lincoln City, and of course one heads out to God's Thumb. I went towards God's Thumb because I thought, well, that's the prominent feature here. I never found that group of three hikers again so yet another u-turn headed back to you guys scanning the ground all along the way what it boils down to is our camera was lost on a section of trail that we can probably narrow down to within a half mile but i really think
0: and this is the thing we don't even want to say We think it went home with someone on the trail.
1: Who I met on the trail. Yes. (laughs) I was that close Ah. to recovering the camera without even knowing it.
0: And one of the funny things is the images that are on that camera, they definitely identify our family. There are some shots that we took on another hike when we were up in Portland. And then also for our book, the 40 Backpacking Hacks book that just came out, Volume 2, all of the illustrations for that book are on this camera. And so it's kind of funny, if these people wanted to do a little bit of homework, they could maybe kind of put the pieces together and find us. But I would like to believe that after you said, uh, no, you know, I'm not... Looking for anything except for my son, that they took the camera back to the camp that they were at and asked each person, you know, is this your camera? Is this your camera?
1: Yeah. It's gone. It, we didn't lose the illustrations. Uh, right. I had already transferred them to the computer and digitized them. So they are in 40 Backpacking Hacks, yeah. Volume 2. But I just wonder what people thought as they looked at those pictures. Pictures. <laughs> I have no idea what this is.
0: Well, especially when they look at some of them, and it's like a tuna can with a fire next to it. It's just kind of like that's that's weird. weird. <laughs> that is just weird. <laughs> so anyway, if you found our camera and you're wondering who to give it back to, it's us.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. Get with <laughs> us on Facebook or Twitter. In the meantime, we can take comfort in knowing that our irreplaceable son yes. was found, and that our replaceable camera has been replaced with exactly the same model the sony rx100 i love it so i just went and bought the same camera all over again
0: and of course looking back at that hike we tried to figure out okay what could we have done differently and staying connected with our kids while we're hiking is a bit of a challenge we've talked about that i guess there's no reason why our camera wasn't labeled why we didn't have some kind of identifying information on it and so we will share our hack for that. In fact, it's what we did to our new camera so that you hopefully will have your camera returned back to you if you ever happen to lose it on the trail.
1: But before that backpack hack, we get to go to the top five list and the Summit Gear Review. All kinds of fun stuff today.
0: Yes, and I love it. The top five list has nothing to do with lost and found or, you know, cameras or anything. This is the top five breads to take backpacking. So what is so cool about taking bread with you when you're backpacking? I think it's just, at least in our home, it's a, a canvas that you can smear things onto and it allows you to transport food into your mouth. I mean, you can always smear peanut butter and jelly onto your hand and eat it off of your hand. Yum, yum. But bread is just so convenient. I love it. And if you're going to take bread with you while you're backpacking, there are some important elements. The bread needs to resist crushing, it should be versatile, long-lasting, and then this will provide that canvas for infinite flavor combinations on your backpacking trips. We've also chosen breads for this list that can last for days without going bad. Unlike a classic loaf of bread, which typically tends to go stale and develop those cool little fuzzy spots that are greenish-bluish, yeah. These breads are a lot longer lasting. So the number one bread to take backpacking is pita bread. The brand of pita that we buy doesn't have a pocket. It's more like a fluffy tortilla. It's different than the pita bread from the 80s. Remember that stuff, Josh?
1: Yeah, the cardboard?
0: Yes. Ugh, I can still feel the texture on my tongue of the pita bread from the 80s. Me too. Just... It didn't taste good, it didn't bend well, it was just kind of this stiff stuff. It was like chewing on cowhide. So we're talking now about the pita bread of the 21st century. It will last for days in your pack, it can be eaten plain, dipped in soup, smeared with peanut butter, or like we talked about in our last episode, it can even be used as a makeshift utensil. The brand that we usually buy is the Papa Pita Whole Wheat Pita Bread. And we just pick it up at Winco, which is kind of a West Coast store. But I'm sure every region of the U.S. probably has access to a similar uh, style of pita bread. So no pockets in this pita.
1: And our pita bread comes in at 78 calories per ounce.
0: The number two type of bread to take with you while backpacking is flour tortillas. These are the go-to bread of choice for backpackers. It's bomb-proof, it's dense, if it's perfectly in the bottom of a bear canister, and it can last for days and days without refrigeration. I don't think I've ever had a package of flour tortillas go stale. I mean, they're just, I don't know what they pump into it, lard or chemicals or what, but it, it lasts forever. And you can find flour tortillas in lots of different sizes and varieties. You can find whole wheat flour tortillas, gluten-free flour tortillas, or sprouted grain. I've even seen ancient grain flour tortillas. So if you're looking for something just to mix it up on the trail, that would be a really fun
1: option. Have we ever had a trip where we have not had flour tortillas with us?
0: Um, yeah, if we don't bring flour tortillas, then we bring pita bread. Well, <laughs> I kind of mix it up between the two, you know?
1: Yeah, but I think even when you bring pita bread, Someone... I've probably packed some tortillas. Yeah. I, our last trip had tortillas. Our day trip to God's Thumb, I think we had tortillas on that trip.
0: Yeah, they're great. Typically, you can find flour tortillas kind of in a burrito size. I really like the fajita size because it fits perfectly in a little sandwich bag. But recently, I've seen this little taco cart size so it's like maybe a five inch diameter tortilla it's so cute
1: the size of the authentic tacos that they serve out of the taco carts uh, those are typically corn tortillas which you could do Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah now you've been finding flour tortillas in that small uh, authentic taco size
0: and of course you can always make your own flour tortillas we've done that before it's a little bit time intensive and of course you don't have access to all those preservative chemicals at home but if you wanted to make your own versatile bread tortillas are a great option
1: and tortillas come in at 88 calories per ounce
0: the number three type of bread to take backpacking is bagels these are great because they come in a variety of flavors and sizes They're perfect for breakfast, especially if you pair it with like a one ounce packet of cream cheese and maybe a foil pouch of salmon or a squeeze of jam. Do you have a favorite flavor of bagels, Josh? Or a favorite way to eat bagels?
1: For backpacking, I think I prefer plain bagels because they're the most versatile. So you can add something sweet or something savory and they'll taste fine either way. Uh, Bagels are in a couple of recipes in the Trail Fuel Cookbook. The fondue recipe. that's pretty cool. Uh, Also the Smash Witch recipe, that's a fun Mm -hmm. one. And plain bagels come in at 73 calories per ounce.
0: And the number four bread to bring backpacking is crackers. So wheat thins or triscuits, just something nice and sturdy. Good for snacking um, when you want something to eat, but you don't want to commit to an entire bagel or a whole tortilla. The best crackers are the ones with no flavors added because it makes it a little more versatile. Another great thing about crackers is that they're shareable and they have more calories per ounce than any of the other breads that we've shared so far.
1: This is probably because of the oil that's added. So we get 133 calories per ounce out of things like Triscuits and Wheat Thins. Yeah!
0: (laughs) (laughs) And usually we bring Triscuits and Wheat Thins that don't have flavors, however, We love the cracked black pepper triscuits. I don't think they have MSG. So,
1: no, and that's what's great. The regular triscuits uh, have very few additives, no MSG. And then these cracked pepper and olive oil triscuits also, you know, they're a flavored version of the triscuit, but they don't have all those additives in them. They're pretty simple with the basic triscuit recipe plus black pepper and olive oil.
0: And the number five bread to bring backpacking is pretzels. One of the fun things about pretzels is they come in lots of shapes and lots of flavor varieties. So you could go with the traditional pretzel, which is probably, I'm guessing, around 80 calories an ounce. But the flavored pretzels are so good. Snyder's makes a flavored pretzel that's honey and mustard and weighs in 140 calories an ounce.
1: Boom! Yeah,
0: so if you're going for calories per ounce, that's a good one. But, you know, plain pretzels are a lot more versatile. They can be dipped in peanut butter, Nutella, which also bumps the calories way up.
1: Yeah.
0: Or they can be eaten with cheese. And pretzels are pretty high in salt, so... I think that's probably a good way to maybe balance out some of the salt that you're sweating
1: off. Okay, so we use all of these breads when we go backpacking. Pita bread, tortillas, bagels, crackers like wheat thins or triscuits, uh, and pretzels. Just for fun, what are some breads that you would not recommend for backpacking?
0: The croissant. It actually isn't that high in calories, like calories per ounce. It's a lot of air. And it crushes really easily. It still doesn't taste bad when it's crushed, but it kind of loses some of its structural integrity. So maybe leave the croissants at home.
1: Right. And Wonder Bread, again, the crushability. You can smash a loaf of Wonder Bread down into a tiny ball. And so that's what your pack is going to do to it. And when you get to camp, you'll pull out your loaf of Wonder Bread and it will actually just be a ball. Rolls, dinner rolls.
0: Yeah, those are pretty fluffy. (laughs) Those end up like flat little squirrels on a freeway. (laughs) But, um, oh, another bread that maybe you should leave at home is crepes. I mean, they're similar to tortillas. So you might think, oh, crepes would be good on the trail. But they have eggs, milk. They're more perishable than tortillas.
1: They're not squishable. But on the other hand, they're not very durable. They'll, They'll tear easily.
0: Right. Yeah. And they'll go bad after a day.
1: Yeah, so that's what it comes down to for backpacking breads. You want them to not be squishable, crushable. You want them to be durable, you know, not, not too easy to tear. You want them to be compact so they're not taking a lot of space, not just filled with air. And they need to be long-lasting, not extremely perishable.
0: For today's Summit Gear review, we will be reviewing the Kelty Horizon 2 Tent. The Kelty Horizon 2 is a hybrid tent, which means it's not really a single-walled tent. It's not really a double-walled tent. It's kind of this mashup of the two. It's a hybrid tent, which means that the rainfly is attached onto the tent and covers part of the tent. So it really cuts down on the overall weight of the tent without increasing the price too much. This is my first exposure to a hybrid tent where everything is all attached. And I would have to say, it is really cool to kind of have everything all connected. You know, you don't have things flying off into the forest while you're trying to set things up. It's all connected. And I really liked that aspect of this tent. This tent has one entrance and the entrance has kind of an awning or vestibule option. So either the vestibule can be staked down and used as a vestibule, kind of a covering for all of your gear that's outside of the tent, or you can lift up the vestibule using your trekking poles or some sticks that you found and create kind of this little porch next to your tent. So I really liked that option on this tent. The Kelty Horizon 2 has an all-in-one hubbed pole design which means that all of the poles are all connected to make one big x-shaped pole structure so all the poles have shock cord inside of them and you just assemble them all together basically by shaking it a little and they all kind of pop 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 pop, into place and then in the center of that x is a hub and that's what you clip on to the very top of the tent So once the four legs are put into the corners of the tent, then you clip that hub onto the very top of the tent.
1: So to set it up, you're essentially laying the tent out flat, and then you're popping up the pole structure, creating the skeleton or the frame, and then you just need to pick up... The attachment, yeah, the center point, clip that onto the hub, and then the other attachment points around the tent, you just lift those up to that skeleton structure.
0: Exactly, yeah. You know how usually when you get that kind of the skeleton structure put in place and you start clipping the rest of the tent onto the legs of the poles, those clips usually just snap on. Well, these clips, they call them the hug clips, which I loved that hug clips. You like hugs? I like hugs. Um, they're kind of S-shaped. And so you uh, you put the hug clip onto the pole and you twist it. And so one of the arms goes around the left side of the pole and the other arm of this clip goes around the right side of the pole. So it looks like the tent is hugging the poles. It's really cute. <laughs> um, but it's very secure And that hug clip design makes it secure and makes it so the tent won't come detached from the poles in a windstorm or a monkey attack or something.
1: A monkey attack?
0: You never know. I mean, you're in the forest. Right. The tent comes with no see mesh on the ceiling and on the door and about a third of the way up the side of the tent. I think every time I see no see mesh on a product, I always assume that it means like a mosquito that bit you but you didn't see it bite you, so it was a no see But did you know that no see are an actual bug? Like, did you know that, Josh? Uh,
1: I knew that. It's
0: okay if you knew that. I knew that. I just want to admit to the world, I did not know that. A no see as it turns out, is a biting midge, and they're a family of very small flies. And so the reason that tents and other gear has no see mesh is because these little flies, they can get through larger mesh. So, like, say, your window screens in your house, the noceums could actually get through that. But the noceum mesh that they use on gear, the noceums cannot get through that. Who
1: That's want? good. That keeps the noceums off of you, it keeps them outside where they should be, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Noceums, they're not bad. They're just a bug, they're blood eating. So, I guess mm. we don't like that aspect of them. But there are some species of these noceums that actually pollinate tropical crops like cacao. So, I'm not really anxious to get rid of noceums. I'd rather use the mesh and let the noceums do their job on the cacao plantations.
1: Sounds good to me, too. We
0: can all agree on that. So, if you're interested in learning more about noceums, we'll have a link in today's show notes and you can learn all about. Ceratopogonidae, a.k.a. No-See-Ums, or the Biting Midges.
1: This sounds like potentially one of those internet rabbit holes. Oh, yeah. Where you could just, there would be no end to your studying once you get started on this wiki page.
0: (laughs) Yep, it's a good one. The Kelty Horizon 2 also has a couple wall pockets. It's mostly, I would say, 87.5% seam-taped. There's a few areas under the little rain fly that aren't seam taped and there are some places that you might want to add some seam seal especially if you're going to be using this in spring or fall. Typically tents come in a carrying bag that's shaped like a Swiss roll but this tent comes in a square carrying bag which I guess kind of is part of Kelty's idea of compartmentalizing gear kind of making it more modular looking
1: and really the two of us we leave the bag home we just stuff the tent into our packs it just fills in wherever the gaps are
0: yeah so just because it comes with that square carrying bag doesn't mean you have to use it i think it's more of a marketing packaging kind of thing as far as mass goes this tent comes in at four pounds five ounces um has 28 square feet of floor area The vestibule is around nine square feet for all your gear outside of the tent. The interior of the tent is about 84 inches long and about 52 to 43 inches wide. Kind of does that mummy thing where it gets more slender on one end. And then the height is about 43 inches.
1: Just for comparison, we always talk about how you can get price, weight, durability, pick any two. And... This is just yet another example of that. This tent is a full pound lighter than our REI Passage 2 tents, so that's terrific. Uh, On the other end of the spectrum, we have the Big Agnes Copper Spur UL 2 tent, which is only three pounds six ounces, so it's yet another pound lighter than this Kelty tent. So the Kelty tent is in the middle, you know, for the tents that we have in our family, it's in the middle between. The passage 2s at 5.5 and the big agnes copper spur at 3.6.
0: For maintenance if you want your tent to last longer and this is a universal tent trick the best thing you can do is keep it out of the sun which just seems like why are we bringing our tents out into the sun but you just need to treat it with a waterproof and solar proof spray to prolong its life and Nikwax makes a really great spray called Solar Proof that we've used on all of our tents. And that's something that you can spray on even when your tent is wet. You'll also want to bring a repair kit, even if it's just a few squares of waterproof self-adhesive tape. And then of course, put your tent away clean and dry when you're done. Something that I learned from reading the user manual that came with the Kelty Horizon 2 tent is that all tents, even if they're freestanding like this one, should be staked out to give the tent more structural integrity.
1: Think about someone tarping a load on a pickup truck, and if they tie that tarp down very tightly, it's probably going to be okay. If they tie it pretty loosely, then it ends up just flapping around all over the place as they drive down the highway, and all that flapping weakens it, and it just shreds apart. So
0: even though this is a freestanding tent, make sure you stake it out and make it taut to give it that structural integrity. For investment, this tent comes in at $240.
1: Yeah, so as we were talking about price, weight, durability, you can get the REI Passage Two tent for only $150. Well, spend an extra $100 and you can shave a whole pound off the weight of your tent. Now take that $240 for the Kelty tent and double it to $480. That's what it takes to shave one more pound off on the Big Agnes Copper Spur UL2. So you decide, how many dollars per pound do you want to pay?
0: (laughs) Well, for trial, following the instructions that came with the tent, we did a test pitch and we set up the tent inside. I would recommend this for all tents. It just gets you used to all the little pieces and parts and I guess it reduces some of the anxiety that you may feel about going on a backpacking trip, especially if it's your first trip. And for freestanding tents, this is a lot of fun to do inside. You don't have to pound any stakes into your hardwood floors or, you know, tear out carpet. You just set it up and it kind of, everything pops into place.
1: And since this Kelty tent is a little different than the standard double wall tent of a tent body covered by a rain fly with two poles that go crisscross, I think that's even more reason to set up this Kelty tent before you take it out on the trail, because it is a little bit different setup. As you said, it's quite easy, but I think it's nice to get through that learning curve at home first.
0: Well one of the things that I liked about this tent is that it had that vaulted ceiling feel because the entire ceiling is that no mesh so when you roll back the rainfly that's attached to the tent it opens up your view from within the tent while still providing some privacy on the sides of the tent but the back the ceiling and the front you have this really expansive view
1: Perfect for viewing those sunsets and sunrises that are so popular on social media feeds. You know, the ones where you see someone's legs or the back of their shoulders or something in their sleeping bag, just looking out of their tent, the beauty of nature.
0: Well, a Kelty Horizon 2 is a great option for summer backpacking. It doesn't have a lot of rain protection. It has just that top rain fly, but it's around four pounds. It has just enough rain coverage to get you through a freak summer storm. It provides lots of ventilation, which is so important on those summertime trips, along with adequate bug protection. And it just opens up your view from within the tent. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, how to do a camera identification photo.
1: When we lost our camera, we realized we really didn't have any identifying information on the photos on that camera.
0: Besides our beautiful faces, but...
1: But they were kind of small. We we did
0: that panorama where we were...
1: Yeah, we didn't have any close-up portraits of anybody. True. True. And still, that would be that would be a long shot, wouldn't it? For someone to pick up the camera and see someone's face and say, oh, I know that person. <laughs> we didn't have any identifying info on the camera itself. And among the photos, well, there were those pictures that we had taken of the sketches for the 40 Backpacking Hacks Volume 2. And if someone could decrypt that, and figure out who the camera belonged to based on those sketches, I would be really impressed. But fact is, we lost the camera with basically no identifying info on it. The silver lining to that cloud is that it led us to a backpacking hack that seems quite obvious now that we've gotten there, but it took losing a camera to get there. Here's the hack. Put a photo on your camera that has your contact info. Pretty simple, right?
0: Wait, was that it? Sorry, why? <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. To Say it again
1: put a photo on your camera that has your contact info. So now we have a photo on our camera that has our contact info and the numbers that someone can call or text if they find this camera. And the trick is to make sure that that photo stays on the camera. So every time we transfer photos to the computer and erase all the photos on the SD card, we gotta make sure this one stays. And most cameras provide a way to do that. You can lock a photo to prevent deletion of that photo. So, using the menu on my camera, I locked this photo and then I leave all the others unlocked, of course, as I take them. That means every time I attach the camera to the computer and I transfer photos, then when I'm done, I can use the menus on my camera to say delete all and it will delete all of the photos except this one because this one has been locked and won't be deleted. Now, some cameras, I believe, allow you to um, select a photo to be the Quote unquote splash screen or startup screen when you first turn on the camera. It'll show that photo for a second or two. Our Sony RX100 doesn't do that, but if your camera has that feature, that's something that you could take advantage of as well.
0: And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, who is stealth. We don't know who this is, but there is an entire story behind it of mystery. This mysterious person penned the words, Let no one say and say it to your shame that all was beauty here until you came. This quote has popped up in locations throughout the world, and yet no one knows the background or the story or the author of this little quote. So we will put a link in the show notes to one person's quest to find the story behind this quote. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. And if we ever do lose this camera on the trail, you are officially invited to our house for dinner.
1: A $400 dinner?
0: Whoa, what? <laughs> Backpack hack of the week. Backpack hack of
1: the week. Oh, we're going to have a little jingle for it now. Oh, yeah. All right.